Today we're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 17 all the way to chapter 3 verse 10. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it would be best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for your for you? Mm. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Isn't this fantastic? Isn't it great? Mind you, do you know what it looks like from my perspective? This is the Hunter Bible Church bingo morning. <laughs> I just have this urge to call out 88, two fat ladies, or whatever it is. We can play Bible bingo. Halfway through the sermon, when I say predestination, someone will yell out bingo, and I don't know, you get a chicken or something like that. We've been waiting months for this, haven't we? I didn't realize that it was actually the, the 15th and the 15th, that it's seven months exactly, but we've been waiting months for this. And look, church is better when we do it together. In fact, I was reading a study this week. Studies have shown that almost everything is better when you do it with other people. Uh, there was, uh, I was reading this week, in 2018, a bunch of Yale psychologists did a study where they got a whole bunch of participants to eat chocolate. Now, immediately I thought, why can't I do studies like that? If I was ever in a uni study, it would probably be for laxatives or cough medicine. These people got to eat chocolate. And what the researchers found was that people liked nice chocolate more when they ate it with other people. Even if they'd never met those people before, just eating the nice chocolate with other people meant that they rated it higher. And people disliked bitter chocolate more when they ate it with other people. Because it seems that being together actually heightens our experiences. 
whether good or bad, which is why we do things like going to the movies with other people, right? Because it's better to share it. It's why, well, it's why we used to go and sit in a stadium with a, you know, thousands of people we'd never met before COVID and all that sort of stuff. But somehow, togetherness actually heightens our experience. Now, could this also be true of joy? Could it be that our greatest joy actually comes from being with each other. So I naturally think of joy and happiness fairly individualistically. I ask myself, am I happy? Do I have joy? But you know, one of the things that really surprised me as I started reading about joy in the New Testament is just how much the idea of joy revolves around other people my receiving joy from other people, but also me giving joy to other people. So look what Paul says to the Philippians. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul calls the Philippians his joy. To the Thessalonians, he says, for what is our hope our joy or the crown in which we'll glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he, when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. See, in the New Testament, joy seems to be this thing that's not just what I have, it's what we share. And so today, what we're going to do today is look at three relationships that Paul has with three different churches, the Thessalonians, the Corinthians and the Philippians. And Paul has totally different relationships with all three churches, but they're all joyful in their own way. So we're going to start with the Thessalonians. Point two on your outline there. Uh, are you jumping onto the online outline? It took me actually a while to get behind the idea, but now I'm all in favor of it. One, I think it's good for our environment. We're using less paper. Plus, I think if you're anything like me, it's one less thing to juggle. And so, I think they're worth really digging into, especially because we do need to sign in. But you'll see on your outline that Paul gets this incredible joy from the Thessalonians just enduring, just staying Christian. So you know the story of the Thessalonians? Paul and Silas were only there for three weeks. Three short weeks preaching the gospel, but a whole bunch of people became Christians. It was fantastic. But then some of the other Jews became jealous. And so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and they formed a mob and started a riot in the city and they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and now they've come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're defying Caesar's decree saying that there's another king called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. That's what happened when Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica. And so Paul and Silas, they have to make a run for it in the middle of the night. They go off to Berea. But the Thessalonians couldn't make a run for it. They were left behind. And they suffered. Have you still got 1 Thessalonians open? Have a look at what Paul says to them in chapter 2, verse 13. 2, 13. He says, We also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became 
imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same kinds of things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. You see, these, these Thessalonians, they came to Jesus, but then they really began to suffer for it. And you can imagine how Paul must have felt, right? As Paul leaves, as he kind of runs off to Berea, imagine what it's like for him watching these baby Christians. He's only been with them for three weeks. At the, at the, the, the most mature Christian in the church is three weeks old, and now they're going through the fires of persecution. So look what Paul says in 2.17. He says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. I Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we'll glory? I'm about to cough, guys. You might want to turn me down so I can cough. <clears throat> Good. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we'll glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Isn't it you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. It turned out that way, as you all know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that the tempter in some way had tempted you, and our labors might have been in vain. See how Paul, he's watching these baby Christians, and he's just got this intense desire to go and see with them. He's away from them in body, but not in thought. And Satan's blocking his path to get back to them. And he's afraid that Satan would have tempted them away. And twice he says, we couldn't stand it any longer. He's just in agony, watching these baby Christians suffer. He's a bit of a mess. But then look at his joy in 3 verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you. And he's brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what's lacking in your faith. The relief, the joy Paul has now that the Thessalonians are standing for him. How can we thank God enough for the joy we have in watching you guys endure as Christians? And look, isn't that your experience with other Christians as well? Haven't there been times in your Christian life where you've just been filled with this incredible joy because you've watched people you love, Christians you love, stick it out during the hardest trial of their life. That's been my experience as I've watched my friends Sam and Amy. You might remember, it seems like such a long time ago after before COVID and so on, but it, boy, it's so close for them still. 
You might remember Sam and Amy last year, their little baby boy Arlo died. And so for most of last year and this year, I visited Sam and Amy almost every week. And I tell you what, the number of weeks where we just sat there and cried, because there was nothing else we could do. And we asked, why had God done this? And it's funny, occasionally people would say to Sam and Amy, oh, I'm so amazed how, how strong you've been. I couldn't be as strong as you've been. And Sam and Amy would often say, we haven't been strong at all. We are just hanging in there. And every day has been nothing but a battle. And it's true. But strangely enough, that's actually what's most encouraged me about it. Because every day being a battle for Sam and Amy, just seeing them hang in there and endure as Christians, that's actually been one of the greatest joys of my entire Christian life. To go and cry with them and to sit with them. Our friendship has brought me so much joy in the darkest time of their life. And actually, on Friday night, I sent them what I was planning to say. And they said, yes, that's it. We haven't been strong. We've been weak, but Jesus has held us to him. How can I thank God for the joy that I've had in watching them just endure? Mind you, if you haven't caught up on the news, we now have the vast joy of knowing that Amy's expecting twins. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the most wonderful news? That's all of it has been God's gift to us. See, joy's not meant to be an individual thing. We're meant to get it from each other and we're meant to give it to each other. That's one of the reasons why it's so good to be back together, isn't it? Because this magnifies our joy. So I imagine that quite rightly, some of us are thinking, you know, I'm actually kind of sad that church is going back because I kind of liked having church at home in my jammies. And look, I get that. It certainly was convenient being able to wear my dressing gown on a Sunday morning. I so meant to bring it today and I forgot. Think of all the joy we've actually missed out on by not seeing each other. All those conversations over coffee before church, when we discover just how hard someone is doing it and we walk away so encouraged by their faith in Jesus, by their trust that Jesus is going to get them, get them through it and how, how amazing it is to see people stick it out. This may be less convenient, but I'll tell you what, I will take joy over convenience every day of the week. And look, it might be that you're actually doing it really hard as a mo at the moment. It might be that you're in one of those times in your Christian life where you think, I'm not strong, I am just hanging in there. We want to be hanging in there with you. I think one of the things that I've really wrestled with in the last seven months is that sense that people are just a little beyond our reach, relationally. And so do let us know if you're really struggling because we actually want to be with you. We want to do our best. And of course, we'll muck it up, but we'll want to do our best. There's this immense joy in just seeing Christians endure. But you know, Paul had a very different kind of joy when it came to the Corinthians. Because Paul had a very different relationship with the Corinthians. Look, we're actually going to be doing 1 Corinthians as our focus book 
for the next four years. So every term two, every term two every year, we're going to take a deep dive for the next four years into 1 Corinthians. And you might already know that the Corinthian church was actually a bit of a nightmare for Paul. They were divided around different leaders, they were divided around the issue of tongues, they had a young guy who was sleeping with his stepmother and the church was actually celebrating it, they were taking each other to court, some of them were sleeping with prostitutes, God had even killed some of their church for the way they were abusing each other during the Lord's Supper. The Corinthian, you can see the next four years is going to be a really entertaining time as we take a deep dive. You might be thinking, hmm, why did they choose that book? Is it that the Corinthians hunt a Bible? No. They were a nightmare for Paul. But just come to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I didn't return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over you for your faith, lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it's by faith that you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I wouldn't make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but those whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I wouldn't be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would sh all share my joy. For I wrote to you out of great distress, distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. See, Paul had been hearing all sorts of distressing stuff about the Corinthians. In fact, what he heard was so distressing, was probably the stuff in 1 Corinthians, it was so distressing that Paul decided it would be better for him not to visit, because he would then have to be rebuking them in person. He said, it, would actually, it actually spares you more pain for me not to come in person. And so in verse 3, he wrote them a really painful letter. It might not have been 1 Corinthians. It may have been a shorter letter between 1 and 2 Corinthians that we don't have, but it was certainly a painful letter. And he wrote it, he says, in grief and distress and anguish. And again, that's our experience too, isn't it? Is there anything more painful in your Christian life than watching someone you really, really love making terrible decisions or walking away from Jesus? Over the last 22 years here, I've seen a bunch of people, a mercifully small group when you think about it, but I've, I've seen a bunch of people throw away their faith and go off into sin. And the issues that keep being repeated again and again, often it's about sex, so either people leave their husband or wife of 20 years and, and go off and have an affair, or uni students, we can't count the number of uni students who've thrown away Jesus in order to go off and have sex. Sometimes it's about money. People pursue money, and what that means is, as you pursue that God, there's no time for the true God in your life. More and more in the last five years, I think it's that I'm seeing people chuck in their faith because it's really hard being disliked by the world. It actually is wearing, isn't it, that every single time Christianity is mentioned in the media, something negative, and so there are people who just kind of decide to blend in with the crowd. I tell you, it's gut-wrenching to watch. Every single time it happens, it's gut-wrenching to watch. It's awful. And it's awful having to be the person who goes and challenges people, to chase people and have hard conversations it's just, just as we tend to think of joy individualistically, I think we also tend to think of sin. 
individualistically. This is no one, this is no one else's business. It's my business. It's my life to have an affair or a chuck in my faith. It's no, none of your business. Think of the people in church who would just be gutted if you threw in your faith. Think of the people in your growth group. Think of the people in your ministry. Think of your friends, your kids. In fact, when you find yourself tempted, think about the relationships that you're part of and the people who this sin, it wouldn't just affect you, it would actually damage them too. It's not the only reason to be godly. There are bigger and more important reasons to be godly. God's glory is one of them. Just the pleasure of pleasing our Father is a great reason, but I tell you what, dwelling of my sin, the effect that it would have on church, the effect it would have on kids, it's a really sobering experience and it shows me the seriousness of this thing that I'm toying with. As Christians, we have enormous power to hurt each other. but we also have enormous power to encourage each other by our repentance. Just flip over to chapter 7 and look at Paul's joy when he hears about the Corinthians' repentance. He says, therefore, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for the Lord. Make room for us in your hearts, We've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've exploited no one. I don't say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we'd live or die with you. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by His coming, but also by the comfort you had given Him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you so by my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, the Corinthians have listened to Paul's letter. They've become sorrowful, which is what God wanted them to be. But it was a sorrow that led them to repentance. And in verse 7, Paul says, My joy is greater than ever. Paul has gone from the depths of sorrow to the heights of joy because that's what happens when we see each other repent and struggle with sin. Isn't it wonderful when you're in growth group and you know that there's someone confesses that they're struggling with a particular temptation and you know what a fight it is, you know how much they're struggling and you pray about it week after week and you go through month after month with them and you can see how hard they're fighting to obey God and you can see them sweating over obedience and agonizing over it and you know they're in a spiritual war. And day by day, week by week, they slowly obey God. They fall, but they repent, they get back up again, and they just keep clinging to God. Isn't that the most encouraging thing ever? So I can think of people in our church over the last 22 years who have all but wrecked 
their lives through sin. But through God's grace, they're still Christian. They're still hanging in there. They've repented. They've trusted Jesus with their life going forward. I take so much joy in these people. Of course, not just me. What do the angels in heaven rejoice over, says Jesus? The single sinner who repents. And look, you might be really struggling with a sin now. It might be that over the months of COVID, sin has crept into your life and you haven't had people around you to talk to you about it. It could even be that you're at a crossroads of your faith. Can I say, share it with your brothers and sisters. Maybe share it with your growth group, maybe pick one or two other people, but share it with your brothers and sisters so that they can help you through it and then so they can have the joy with you of clinging to Jesus and repenting. Paul says, my joy in seeing you repent is actually greater than ever. So Paul took joy in the Thessalonians. He took, he took joy in the Corinthians repenting. With the Philippians, it was a different joy again. It was the joy of serving together. Come over to Philippians chapter 1 with me. And look how Paul starts his letter to them. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul prays with joy for these Philippians because they've been partners with him in the gospel. One of the ways they've been partners is the Philippians have actually funded Paul's mission. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 14. 4 verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you, you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. You see, the Philippians, they partnered Paul in this gospel ministry. And you can imagine the joy that that gives to Paul. When Paul's out there in places like Thessalonica, when he's having to climb down city walls in the middle of the night to escape, when he's getting beaten up, when he's in Rome, knowing the Philippians are back there praying for him and that they're sending him aid, no wonder Paul's filled with joy, right? And again, isn't that true in church? So often I find myself literally reduced to tears when I see the sacrifices that people make. I don't know how early... The setup team had to come this morning, but I do know we couldn't get into the building last night. We were thinking, we'll come in Saturday afternoon, we'll set it up. Turns out there was an event on here between five and nine last night. I have no idea what early, what time the guys turned up to set up this morning, but I know it would have been early. When I see people come into the hub for things like welcome dinners and connect series, and they're just serving again and again. That communal song we released a few weeks ago, wasn't that amazing? What I loved about it, it wasn't just that it was a beautiful song, but I could just see hundreds of hours that had been put into that song. All the people who, so they had to get a backing track first that everyone would sing along to, all the people who did multiple takes in their own house, and then the, it must have been 30, 40, 50 hours that Dan had to put into editing the whole thing, and every single minute of that was an expression of love for our church. I watched and I just burst into tears. This is another reason why it's so good to be back together, isn't it? Because now we get to see each other serve. 
We get the pleasure of seeing people out on the coffee machine. How great is it to have coffee again before church that someone else makes and we don't have to wash up? We get to see each other's love. But here's the thing that Philippians adds a slightly different dimension to here. Paul doesn't just get joy from the Philippians service. He wants to give them joy as well. Come with me. This, we're about to look at, for me, what has been my favourite verse in this whole series. Come and have a look in Philippians chapter 1. See, Paul's talking about the fact that he may actually die in this prison that he's in. But he says, I'm actually kind of torn, because if I die, I get to go and be with Jesus, but look in verse 22, he says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. How beautiful is that phrase? I've just been captured in the last six weeks or so by Paul's Vincent of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. If I had to pick a sentence that I want to define my life, it's that one. That's what I want my life to be about. I want to be the person who continues with people for their progress and joy in the faith. I want to spend the rest of my life devoting myself to people so that they'll have joy following Jesus and that they'll progress in the faith, they'll love Jesus more. And they'll have this joy in following Him. That's an ambition for life, isn't it? Not just to be joyful, but to spread joy, to give joy to other people. Surely the best joy in the world isn't actually the joy I get. It's the joy I get to give. Surely that's the best joy in the world. Why not make that the goal for the rest of your life? Say, for the rest of my life, I'm going to continue, I'm going to invest in relationships with people for their joy and progress in the faith. I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to serve. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to help other people get to know Jesus better. I'm going to help them endure in suffering. I'm going to help them to repent and struggle with their sins. I'm going to spend the rest of my life not chasing joy, the way the world thinks is the, the way to get it, but giving joy through serving other people, because that was Paul. Even though heaven is better by far, because he gets to be with Jesus, he was convinced that it was actually better to remain for other people's joy. Of course, the fact that Paul, we bring, as soon as we bring Paul into it, it takes the romance out of it, doesn't it? Because Paul shows how completely unromantic this notion is. It meant being beaten up, it meant being stoned, it meant being unappreciated, it meant being criticised by the very churches that he actually loved, whose joy he was trying to increase. It was, it was tiredness. It means nights at the desk writing studies. It means chasing people who don't really particularly want to be chased. It means having conversations that people really don't want to have because they're happy running away from God. There's nothing romantic about any of that, is there? But Paul says he would prefer that to heaven. 
Because the greatest joy in the world isn't the joy that I get. It's the joy I get to give. This is one reason I am so glad we're back. Because if there was one big danger of online church, it was the danger of becoming consumers. So easy, isn't it, when we can sit back and have church, come to us, turn on the TV, grab the snacks, and there are no newcomers to welcome, there are no chairs and tables to set up, there's no pump pack to pull out, there's, there are no outlines to hand out, there are no outlines to hand out anymore, so that's one thing that's easier. There are no people standing by themselves who could do with a friend to talk to. Church at home made it just so easy to become consumers. And you might be thinking, yeah, I kind of miss it already. That robbed us of so much joy. The joy we got to have in giving joy to each other. I'm so glad we're back. Because our joy will increase as we work to increase each other's joy. I wonder, have you maybe gotten out of that heart habit of serving? Are you thinking, I don't know if I want to go back to that ministry team? Don't think of the work. Think of the joy. The joy that you'll give and the joy that you'll have knowing that you're serving. I think verse 25 is a great motto for us to have as we come back. Convinced of all of this, I know that I'll return, not remain. I'll return to church and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I'm going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, none of this should surprise us because you are the relational God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we saw weeks ago now that you take great delight just within the Trinity, that your joy is relational. And we thank you that ours is too. We thank you for the joy that Paul got in seeing the Thessalonians endure. And Father, we thank you that we get that same joy when we see Christians just hanging in there in weakness and despair and pain. And we pray that as a church, we'll share each other's joy there. We'll carry each other's load. Father, we thank you for the joy that we can get in seeing each other struggle with sin and repent and claw our way forward, fighting against our desires and inclinations. We pray that we'll be good at sharing our load with each other, sharing our temptations, that we might encourage one another in godliness. And thank you for the joy we have in serving. We pray that, like Paul, we would continue with each other for each other's progress and joy in the faith. Help us not to buy into the lie that the world has bought into, that the greatest joy is the joy I can get for myself, seeking experiences and money and possessions and fulfillment and all of those things in drawing it to myself. Thank you that, like Jesus, our joy comes in giving it to others. And so, Father, as we come back and as we have to do so much more work, we pray that we would have the joy of sacrifice. Amen.